0: Welcome to Career EQ, a podcast series focused on helping students navigate the beginning and early stages of their business careers. Your host, John Quinn, is a senior lecturer and director of the Consumer Packaged Goods Immersion Program at the Fisher College of Business at The Ohio State University. In each episode, we dive into a topic facing young professionals in today's ever-changing business environment. While John may not be an expert in all those areas, his academic and corporate partner guests certainly are. That being said, let's dive into our topic for today and meet this episode's guests.
1: Welcome to a very special edition of Career EQ, our very first live edition. Today we have four panelists from very different marketing career paths. We have Ashley Rowland from Big Red Rooster, which is the brand strategy and design arm of JLL, a commercial real estate development firm, and she's senior director of strategy there. We have Brent Williams, who's account director at 500 Degrees, which is a full-service agency based here in Columbus, Ohio, one of the biggest clients being Burger King. Lisa Smith, who's a senior analyst at Jam Smucker. I'm sure you're all familiar with Smucker Jellies, but they also have a lot of other brands like uh, Jeff Butter, and they just bought all the brands under the Hostess umbrella. And lastly, but not least, we have Jacob Ledbetter, division sales manager at TTI. You might not be familiar with TTI, but I'm sure you're familiar with some of their brands like Hoover Vacuum Cleaners, Dirt Devil, and Milwaukee Tool. So our guests are gonna tell a little bit about their roles and their career journeys. So let's start off with Ashley Rowland.
2: Um, Senior Director of Strategy now at JLL. Um, We were Big Red Rooster for like 20 years before that. And Big Red Rooster was founded in brand experience design. So anything three-dimensional out in the world, um, in terms of physical spaces, we are responsible for designing. Retail stores, restaurants, Airport lounges, American Express is one of our biggest clients. Um, you name it. As a strategist, um, I'm responsible in my I'm responsible for being on the front end of design projects and um, helping to guide the creative team in terms of creative decision making, um, ways in which we can design an experience that pays off who the brand is and wants to be and who its consumers are. So, um, insights is in my title too because I also lead our insights practice. I conduct all of our qualitative and quantitative research, qual being focus groups, one-on-one interviews, um, things of that nature, and quant being massive online global surveys that are generative insights in the beginning of a project when we know nothing and we need information about what to design around, or at the back end of a project when we're testing a concept to make sure that um, it's what consumers really want. Um, I guess if I back up further, I went to Ohio University So this campus is giant and hard to navigate for me. Um, But I went to OU, I studied journalism, I wanted to be in advertising, um, but really mostly I just wanted to study people because At the end of the day, what I love most about my job is that I get to go out and talk to people and establish patterns among people who may have nothing in common other than the fact that they got their their car serviced in the past 12 months and say, here are the things that they have in common when we're designing the auto service experience of the future, and here's how we might surprise and delight them um, with the design that we establish. What else? Did I miss anything?
1: Well, so uh, we talked a little bit about characteristics that might be important in, in being successful in your role and maybe what a, di- a typical day is like.
2: Okay. Um, you know, someone taught me this term many years ago called symphony, which is um, having the ability to see the big picture and connect a lot of dots that seem sort of like disparate ideas. And I've always sort of prided myself on having the ability to create that harmony between the creative side and the analytical side because I'm also very numbers-driven and robotic, and I like to sort of flex both sides of my brain. So on a typical day, I would say I'm going in between meetings and work sessions and creative brainstorming meetings with my creative team, um, talking about what uh, you know, waiting room of the future might look like at said auto service center of the future, or I may be analyzing numbers that I just got back from a survey and telling my client whether or not the, ma- the vast majority of people would like or not like this thing that we've just designed. So I sort of like toggle between analytical and creative every day, many, many times a day, which is the thing that I like most about my job, I think, at the end of the day.
1: And the whole right brain, left brain thing going on. Which
2: I think is a myth, so don't repeat that. <laughs> but I, I think it's been um, sort of rendered not true, but I do, I have always believed that we are people tend to be more of one or the other, and some people fall right in between, and I I sort of think that I fall right in between, and uh, I flex both muscles every day.
1: All right, great, thank you. Brent Williams from 500 Degrees.
3: Hey, my name is Brent Williams. I am account director for Burger King U.S. and Canada at 500 Degrees. We are, to the point um, John asked about earlier, we are a retail activation merch photography and design company, so we're Ashley's organization builds the physical plant and designs that based on retail science and whatever. We pick up, actually, some shared clients mm-hmm. um, and begin to activate on the experience, right? So if you're on-premise at a BK and you're not um, dealing with something, something operational in nature, if you're just existing in the environment or you're making decisions and you're being funneled toward the decisions you're making, that's us. We are shaping that experience for you. So it's photography, it's merch development, it's um, execution of special events, those kinds of things. Um, and I am so the, the, the business partner to our clients on the um, corporate side and partner to our creative um, and project management teams internally. My uh, journey is not necessarily the same as yours. I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, so I picked teaching. And I went to school and I got an English degree. Right. Um, and then I graduated and thought, I don't want to go on to grad school yet, even though I'd been accepted to Baylor, again, for you know, English, lit, and Language. And I was going to defer, take a year off, flip burgers, get an apartment, be an adult. Flipping burgers doesn't pay for anything. So I literally, this tells you how old I am, I literally opened up the old school Yellow Pages, looked up things that sounded interesting, applied to every business under the advertising agency section of the Yellow Pages, and got a job. Turned out um, I was pretty good at what they did, at least from an account management standpoint. Had a lot of different uh, clients to start off with. First one was a big telco back in the days when cell phones were yay big. Um, And then had real estate and florist and healthcare and and financial services, Um, but moved from that job to one of the largest uh, agencies that services McDonald's. Um, And from that point kind of fell in love with QSR, Quick Service Restaurants Fast Food and that's where I've been ever since. My journey is maybe a little bit atypical in that way, because agency people tend to be generalists and tend to touch a lot of different businesses in a lot of different sectors. I've been QSR for the last 20-something years. Um, McDonald's for quite some time, then Subway restaurants. Um, where are my Texas people? Anybody in here? Nobody? I didn't get anybody this morning either. Taco Cabana, if you're from Texas, that would be a thing. Um, and then now Burger King, as well as some others uh, along the way. It's something I really like. It's something I'm very good at. It's something I'm very deep into, which is something that I find useful in my day-to-day, but not every agency person does. So that's, that's kind of my journey. Um, but John gave us some other prompts, he, prompts here. What's my typical day-to-day like in, in my role? Um, it really kind of breaks out into three big buckets, right? One is putting out fires. Um, there's a lot of stakeholders involved in what we do there's a lot of opinions involved in what we do there's a lot of you know moving parts involved in what we do so you know I run from place to place in time to time trying to set right which has gone wrong um, and there's It can be high stakes because by the time I get called into a problem, there's tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars in in jeopardy. And so it's a matter of me uh, triaging, understanding the problem and and troubleshooting the solution. That's about a third of the day. Some days are better, some days are are worse, right? Um, Beyond that, reading minds and herding cats. That's another big part of my day um, because I've got client groups who don't coordinate as closely as I would like them to. And so you have stakeholders who have differing opinions, and they're not aligned. And you know, for what we do, it's necessary that people be aligned from top to bottom. And, and it's not always that way. So it's kind of incumbent upon us to, to ride roughshod over those folks sometimes and, and get out of them what we need, as well as in, uh, aligning internal stakeholders, because you've got creative people who are of different minds a lot of the time. Uh, interfacing with account people who may or may not always under the assignment, understand the assignment, or not be aligned with the client in terms of the assignment. Um, other stakeholders inside the agency and the consumer. The thing that you know a lot of people oftentimes forget is that one of the stakeholders in any marketing communications message is the consumer and how well what we're doing strategically, business-wise, um, and then even in the creative that we put out is aligned to what they need. And then finally, wh- I worry about what comes tomorrow, what's the account look like tomorrow, what does our client's business look like tomorrow, how do we need to adjust, how do we need to adapt, how do we keep the business that we've got, how do we leverage the competencies that we as an organization have to get the client that we want tomorrow. So that's, that's kind of what my typical day-to-day looks like. What skills and personal characteristics best enable uh, my career? So the first one is the ability to say yes and to just about anything. right? We are hired as agencies to solve problems, to answer questions, to overcome challenges. Um, And we don't get to say no, because if if you have a client that comes to you with something like that, and you say no, they can find somebody else. So you say yes and, you hold competing thoughts or conflicting thoughts in mind, and you work out the solution. Because there almost always is a solution. And the way that you get to that is a lot of intellectual curiosity. You learn about your client's business. You learn about the industry you're in. You learn about people in in general. You navigate a lot of ambiguity. Um, And at the end of the day, you you bring that to bear on the problem solving that you're able to do. And then let me offer this as well, resilience. As much as agency people, we are always um, in the mode of saying yes and, we get told no a lot no, that's not in the budget, or no, that's not a good idea, or no, that's not feasible in the timeline that we've got to work with. Um, And so you learn how to bounce back from that and reframe the conversation in yes and again. Um, And and, you you stay humble in that way. And uh, as an account manager, especially because... Uh, Rarely do I take credit for anything. It's always the client taking credit. It's always the creative team taking credit. And that's good. I'm okay with that because at the end of the day, I still get paid. I still have a job that I like. I still have uh, the ability to get up tomorrow and and do it again. Um, And then the last question was, what do I like most about my job? Um, What do I look forward to doing every day? Early in my career, it would have been learning stuff, right? I got to work with some very data-focused organizations, some very smart clients. Um, McDonald's and through McDonald's, Coca-Cola, Subway and through Subway, uh, PepsiCo, BK and now back to uh, Coca-Cola and some other, other big companies that are very smart in the way that they understand the consumer um, and I've been able to absorb a lot of their processes a lot of their understanding, a lot of their libraries of information such that you, know, you tell me five minutes about you and I can tell you things about yourself you don't know yet um, and that 's probably the most exciting thing about what i 've done up until now, plus seeing cool commercials. You turn on the TV, you see a commercial that you spent you know a week making in l a or you open up uh, a magazine and you see something you go in a restaurant, you see something, you point to a piece of photography and you 're like, "I know why this is this way that's fun um, so that was early in my career and, and now it's teaching those things to the teams that I manage and, and getting them to that same space as well, as well as just Seeing things continue on it is cool. I, I love turning on the TV and seeing something we've done, or firing up a laptop and seeing something we've done. And I point it out to people I know, and sometimes they care, sometimes they don't. <laughs> but I'm still happy at the end of the day.
1: It's funny you say it, because I started my career on the agency side, and one of the small regional agency, and the first, I remember seeing a billboard, it was Omnistone, you know, the stuff that makes it fancy sidewalks and stuff, and I was, like, telling my friends, hey, I, I, we shot that, that yeah. was my thing, and it's like, yeah, it's great, John. Uh, but, but then a few years later, Super Bowl commercials, and they did care then. Yeah. Um, so, d- before we move on, uh, that was great, Brent, uh, I just want to compare and contrast a little bit. Would you say that, Ashley, would you say you're working on more is like, long-term what's the retail brand experience look like for Home Depot, right? It's more of a long-term thing, where Brent, you're working a little closer in, right? Like, you're watching comp store sales, and if comp store sales are down two or three weeks in a row, the agency's running around with the hair on fire, trying to figure out how to change things, because like what Iron Mike said, like, what do you say? Uh, everybody has a plan to get punched in the mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you have a plan, but then you get punched in the mouth by the competition, and all of a sudden your comps are down. Your plans are going to change, and you're ru- you're running around. Because yep. like I, I, early after I left that small regional agency, I went to Foot Conan Belding and did Taco Bell, and like there were some major fires that we had that we yeah, had to yeah. deal with.
3: Our CMO uh, on the client side, our CMO, our VP marketing, they're running a marathon. We're running a sprint. Um, You know, the the brand is there long-term and has to be crafted long-term, but what we're putting in the restaurant to guide you guys to a a sale um, is very near-term, and when it's not selling, um, franchisees are going to make a a noise to the corporation, and the corporation is going to make a noise to us. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So why do Burger King put an onion ring in
3: your fries? Why does Burger King put the end? It's the yeah. way that they flirt with you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Although, now that we've got havesies, it's intentional. So we're doing it on purpose. OK. All right, great. I will, um,
2: can I add that it's,
3: yeah, absolutely.
2: it's the model is sort of ironic. Because you're right in that we're looking super far out in the future and designing a store of the future that's meant to satisfy consumers in the next five and 10 years. Because most retail is not refreshed on until like seven years out from when it was built. It's just so costly. But our projects tend to be very short. They tend to be three-month sprints that are episodic. We're not necessarily an agency of record. We're hired, we design a store, we stay involved through construction, and then maybe we don't talk to them again for seven years. But you're probably more of an agency of of record relationship where you have longer-term accounts, where Mm -hmm. things are moving a lot faster, and um, so the nature of our business is probably a little different in that respect. And for me, that's kind of nice, because I don't like all my clients, and sometimes. (laughs) I just want to do my three-month project and I want to see it through and I'm really excited to walk into that Home Depot and see this cool stuff, you know, the, the way the product is laid out and the, the furniture that's chosen, all of that is us. Um, but then I like to move on to a bank or a QSR a restaurant or something else entirely. So there's a lot of um, variability in my Job, so
1: time. Ashley referred to like seven years. That sounds like a random number, right? Why not five, why not 10? But like, if it's a franchise organization, usually in the franchise agreement, you have to do a remodel every seven years. Um, and even a corporate, that's kind of the standard where you feel like things are starting to get uh, stale. All right, great, thanks guys. Uh, Lisa Smith from James Smucker.
4: Hi, I'm Lisa Smith. Um, so I guess I will start from more the beginning. So I started, I went to Miami University and studied marketing. Um, wanted to get into marketing and sales um, and started um, right out of college with Smuckers in a sales role. So, um, first role really going out, um, my territory was the East Coast. So, I would fly out Monday morning, I would um, go to Maine or to Boston or to Nashville or to Florida, and I would go um, check our broker performance. So, they're the ones that are setting the stores, and making sure the peanut butter and jelly is where it's supposed to be on the shelf and if it's rotated and everything else, um, and that they're running the promotions. Um, so, I did that for about a year. Um, um, and then that role is really designed for about a year. And then they said, okay, um, that's enough travel. You have to come back into the home office. So um, so I interviewed for category management. Um, I didn't know what it was at the time because nobody had told me what that was when I was studying marketing. Um, but I said, I really like problem solving and I like um, kind of understanding like what consumers are doing and kind of that um, the problem solving and analytical piece. And so they said that sounds like it would be a good fit. So... I started there, and I haven't left. I've been doing it for the last um, 15 years. Um, So I really enjoy category management. Um, So I've been with Smuckers for a while, which is, I think, unusual to be there that long um, and to be in the same type of role. Um, Obviously, a lot of different experiences over those 15 years. Um, But that's, um, I don't I really enjoy it. So uh, very passionate about it. I've had um, category management has kind of two different arms. There's um, category strategy and category management category strategy is more about um, setting the macro um, total US perspective. So like, how are people shopping for peanut butter and jelly? Um, what are they thinking about? Are they thinking about the brand first? Is it creamy and crunchy? Um, are they looking at the size first? Does natural and organic make more? Is that more important to their decision hierarchy than that? And then taking that information and translating it to what should the store be shelf? So when you go to the store, thinking about how you're going to make those decisions, what's most important, and, and then putting that on what you see when you go to the store to shop for peanut butter and jelly to make that the easiest experience for you based on how most people are shopping. Um, so that's kind of like the more category strategy piece, very t- um, high level. Then the category management, they kind of the execution arm. So that's what I do today. And that's really working on taking those macro trends and working with our customers. So I work with um, Giant Eagle, Amazon, um, Costco, uh, there's more. Dollar General and um, BJ's Wholesale Club. Um, so I'll take those high-level recommendations and say, okay, Giant Eagle, um, here's what's happening in your peanut butter and jelly category. Um, here's where we see some opportunities. Here's how you are shelving your set today. Um, so when people go to the store, here's how it is. Here's how we think it should be. And by doing this, we think you can gain an extra X percentage in sales. Um, so it's really taking that that top line thing and then making it more ex- um, executionable for them. So I'm working um, very closely with our sales. Sales team. I'm working with um, our customer teams, um, and that's kind of what um, category management is looking like. So, a typical of the day in the life, um, I will. Um, it's emails, there's some meetings, um, but I'm really trying to think about when we have those big meetings. So like we'll meet with Giant Eagle typically like once a year on peanut butter and jelly. We'll meet with them on Frozen then, but all my customers have like different schedules. But um, so we'll have like a meeting to talk about, okay, what's going on in peanut butter and jelly? Here's what we know. Here's um, new things that are coming out. Here's, um, you know, here's what's happening with Jiff. Here's what's happening with Skippy and all of the other brands as well. Um, and we would say in category management, like all boats rise with the tide. So our goal is to help Giant Eagle grow their peanut butter and jelly category, knowing that when we grow their business, our business will also grow because we are the brand leaders um, for for the business and 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 overall. Um, sorry. Um, so that's kind of typically what I I would be working on is trying to see how we can continue to execute um, our plans and our programs to make sure that we are winning at Giant Eagle. Um, no offense to the Kroger, the Meyer teams, the Target team, Walmart team, but I want I want our our business to um, to win. Um, Skills and characteristics, I would say. Um, uh, passion for analytics and a cu- an curiosity, I would say, for understanding why things are happening, what's going on, and, and really trying to get under, um, like under the data and, and understand what, what's happening and why, um, I would say is um, a big one. And then problem solving and, and analytical skills will get you far. Um, what I like most about the job. Is seeing the things that I do come to life. I think that's very thrilling. So um, I don't have commercials I run, but I can go to the store and see. Like, do you see that peanut butter? I made sure that you know it took me three years, and I finally got that peanut butter on the shelf in the store. And here's what's happening. And um, I find that very rewarding. So um, a lot of a lot of efforts um, doesn't always happen overnight. Sometimes it takes a while, but um, I find that very rewarding. Is is what I do.
1: Very cool. Now, I started my career in CPG, mm-hmm. um, but I was toilet paper and, and paper towels for Scott, you know, now part of Kimberly Clark. Mm-hmm. If I was doing peanut butter and jelly and Uncrustables, I still might be doing CPG.
4: My, my kids think it's the coolest job. I tell them I have peanut butter and jelly calls and they, they tell all their friends. Yeah, they...
1: My regular golf force makes fun of me because yeah. I eat <laughs> an Uncrustable in the back nine every, every round. Uh, yeah. so, great. Uh, you mentioned analytics. Yes. So on a day-to-day or weekly basis, how much uh, analytical work are you doing in your role?
4: I am... Constantly looking at the data um, and under, uncovering the trends, what's happening and why. So I would say on a daily basis, I'm looking at what's happening. All
1: right. Great, thank you. Now we're going to turn to uh, Jacob Ledbetter, uh, Division Sales Manager for TTI. Um, I would say pretty much on all three of your roles, though, there's some role, there's some degree of sales, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you're, yeah, you're selling your idea to your mm-hmm. client, yeah. right, or your customers. Uh, I didn't realize that when I started marketing. That's you know, I got my MBA because I didn't think I could be a salesperson, and I found myself. Oh, whoa, I am doing sales. (laughs) So, but Jacob does it 24 seven. So Jacob, tell us a little about yourself, TTI, and your career path.
5: Yes, it's great to be here with all of you today. I appreciate you having me in here, Professor. Uh, My name's Jake Ledbetter. Again, I'm sure you all know that by now. Um, I went to Ohio State, graduated in 2016 with a degree in marketing. And it's funny, I was in this very classroom, I was gonna double down on that. Uh, I was in this very classroom when my marketing professor of this class told me 90% of you will end up in sales. He was big on that message on how many people who major in marketing do end up in sales or it's at least a part of their career story. And for mine, that's definitely been the case. Um, I found TTI in 2016. Um, and I was looking for leadership development programs, um, those types of programs and organizations to um, you know, get you on the fast track in the company. Um, I found TTI in a classroom presentation, really had no idea what they did. Um, I'm sure many of you might not now. Uh, If you've talked to me on campus, I always say we're the largest company you've never heard of, Uh, but we're about a $14 billion company. And most people do recognize some of our brands, whether they're Milwaukee Tool, Rigid, RYOBI, uh, Dirt Devil, Hoover, just to name a few. Um, So in that sense, we're a large consumer goods company like SC Johnson, Um, Procter & Gamble uh, only we happen to work in the power tool outdoor accessory industry uh, but still products that every single homeowner needs right so that's a little bit about our brands and our products Um, what does my day-to-day look like well um, I was I was really interested listening to you about um, Uncrustables because it seems like where she would hand off a finished product to my team and then we would go in and execute the strategy um, she's really that total engine behind the scenes knowing those trends Um, And we have a whole marketing team at TTI that does that too. They're on the job site speaking to customers, um, developing those new products, and they're incredibly brilliant people. And once they have a finished product that's ready for market, then that's when my team takes over, right? And so a little bit more about our business. Um, We are a Home Depot exclusive with our products. So um, while you heard a strategy with many different retailers, um, we actually only have one. Um so we're all e- equally incentivized and bought into the same retailer, that being Home Depot, and I think you said you do some physical layout of their space as well, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. seems like all of us are really in the same sy- synergetic kind of environment, which yeah. is cool we but, um, talk after. Yeah. but um yeah but so home depot they 're our biggest customer, our most important customer of our fourteen billion we do about seven billion through just their doors alone, and so with that, we have about a two thousand a strong team of field sales and marketing reps who actually call on Home Depot. And you hear in a lot of sales roles where you may call on 80, 90, 100 stores or... Sometimes half the country it sounded like. Um, Ours are very small. Um, We're gonna put you in anywhere from one to five Home Depot stores. Our average Home Depot does around $2 million in TTI products. So um, because of that, we have very small territories and we have a very large team in the field driving sales, working in stores. So that's the team I oversee. Um, I'm over about 168 stores in the Great Lakes Division, all Home Depots. Um, I oversee a team of about 127 individuals um, all in. about a $375 million sales territory for TTI, just in the Great Lakes. Um, and then, again, we'll do about $6 billion through Home Depot. So um, that's kind of how it all is divided and segmented. Um, there's about 20 other divisional managers like myself overseeing the team's calling on Home Depot. Um, but I'm in a management role. So um, I'm, number one, meant to maintain the relationship with Home Depot, make sure that we're winning in stores, that we have the strongest brand presence. Um, with my team, we have to win in aisles. We have to win in the store. Why would Home Depot want to put our competitors that are sold in every other hardware store versus us. We're Home Depot exclusives, right? So it's really driving that value proposition home to my team and to Home Depot, Um, and then the day-to-day management of the people. So um, I do a lot of working in stores with my team, um, actually doing that coaching with them. Um, We're really big about feedback and having a paper trail at TTI, Uh, so I do spend a lot of my time actually in stores, working with my team, um, providing feedback, um, actually delivering that coaching, writing written feedback all of that takes a lot of time. That's probably 60, 70% of my job working with the team, creating that feedback, and the performance management aspect of my role, um, as well as getting people prepared and ready for next steps And TTI is part of our leadership program. Um, but then other aspects of my day, I do a ton of recruiting. Uh, so I get to come back here on campus still and get to enjoy all of this aspect of the job. Uh, truly one of the most rewarding parts is the recruiting piece. Um, And then I do a lot. I'll support our trainings. Um, I'll go to interview events for candidates, um, as well as other larger Home Depot meetings. Every year, I get to go out to Las Vegas with all of Home Depot's executives and higher-ups, and um, we do some shows and new product shows to get them excited. So, um, really being the leader boots on the ground, the leader for my team in stores, recruiting, identifying talent in our organization, and uh, making sure our biggest customer, Home Depot, is always happy and satisfied, and that we're winning in stores, and not letting other tool brands, you know, have a stronger brand presence, have more products, et cetera, um, than we are in stores. So, it's a little bit about me. All right,
1: great. Thanks, Jacob. All right, so now that we've heard a little bit about each of our four panelists and their career paths and the companies they work for now, we're going to open it up to uh, questions from the floor. It could be a question directed kind of generally at the panel, and we can do a jump ball who's actually going to answer it, or uh, you could direct it specifically at one of the panelists if you think it's more appropriate for them.
3: Uh, thank you for coming today. Um, I guess my question is to not to a specific individual, but to the group. And you talked about all these different positions you've had throughout the years, and you've changed. But I guess when we're entering into the workforce, how did you know when it was time to change your positions, to enter like different jobs? And did you keep track of like this passion side, or did, did you have like specific reasons for picking specific jobs at specific times?
2: I should not answer that because I've been at the same place since I graduated, basically, (laughs) 13 years. I did have an internship right when I graduated, and you had mentioned how maybe your career path was a little less defined. I had no idea what I wanted to be, but I landed myself in an internship because it sounded interesting, and it sounded like it was sort of up my alley around research and insights, and I was like, I'm an anthropology major, I love people, and so I went into that, and then someone connected me with someone at Big Road Rooster and I've been there ever since and I've just been promoted up to the position I'm at now so I would have left had I not had passion for the role but luckily I happen to find myself somewhere where I have a lot of enthusiasm and curiosity and so I've stuck around which I know is is different (laughs) these days it's sometimes better and um, more profitable to jump around.
3: I think I counted, given your question, uh, in terms of the notes that we got. I think I'm on job nine now, right? Uh, Which is not Gen Z level, but maybe nearing millennial level, and certainly more than I anticipated when I was in school, right? Because when I was your age, they were talking about, oh, you might have changed jobs five or seven times in your life, and we all thought that was crazy, right? Because I come from a family where my parents changed jobs maybe once, um, and my grandparents, of course, had their jobs for life, right? Right? So you know, looking back on my career, part of it speaks to the volatility um, in the ad agency world, um, especially when it comes to account managers. You are tied oftentimes to a client or a group of clients. And when the client's happy, you have a, a great job, right? If a client goes somewhere else, oftentimes you follow them, which is a great transition from one place to another. Or sometimes you don't follow anybody, and you're looking for your next role. Um, I also have uh, no ability to censor myself, so I've been fired at least twice, um, and uh, advised, by the way. what's that? Not advised, by the way. Not advised, I wouldn't do that. Do ne- <laughs> n- never look at your chief client officer and call him a name that you regret years later that you have to admit you called him, because that will get you fired every time. <laughs> How do you maintain
1: balance and a certain quality of life in your roles?
4: So, oh, I'll go. Yeah, I was going to say I'll start. So, um, I've been with Smuckers for 16 years, and I think that's unusual, but I've had a lot of um, variety of roles within category management, um, kind of like a jack of all trades now. And I feel like with that, um, they know me well. I was actually able to go part time when my daughter was born um, eight years ago. Um, so, that's. Um, some you know quality of life um, balance there, but then I was also able to go remote with the pandemic, which wasn't an option before then. So I feel like companies are becoming a little bit more flexible. Um, and when I say part-time, I do mean so I work three and a half days a week and people know I don't work Fridays and they know that my half day is, so they may call me on a Wednesday and if I'm at gymnastics with my five-year-old, like that's where I'm gonna take the call from because it's my, my half day and, and they, they know and respect that. Um, you know, sometimes I do, you know, I'll have to work a full day Wednesday and, and um, my boss makes sure that I take the time back later. Um, I feel like Smucker's is really good about that balance that not everything is, I mean, it's peanut butter and jelly. It's not rocket science. It's not, you know, nobody's going to die from this. So um, I feel like they've, they've got a really good handle on like what that work-life balance is and their revised office plan I think is nice too. Um, so I feel like Smucker's has it, has it right. And that's why I've stayed so long as well.
5: I I would say that's been a a pretty important issue in my mind. I mean, you know this, uh, but I had a daughter four months ago. uh, So I think it's more pressing than ever now to figure out what work-life balance means to me. Um, I do think it is exactly that. I mean, I commend any great company that stands behind their employees in that way and supports their people. But in my opinion, it's on all of us to figure out what work-life balance truly means. Um, Like, I'm someone who my wife works a night shift at the hospital. I don't mind opening up the laptop for a few hours after I put my daughter to bed, for example, right? But you all may want to shut it down after 8 p.m. and stick to that and wake up early. So I think the first step is just figuring out how you work best uh, what the best operational rhythm is for you, and what 's most important to you in life, you know there's certain things that are deal breakers for me, um, like coming out of this, I have to pick my daughter up from daycare there's no choice in that matter, so I figure out where my free time is and um, try and plan ahead better right I mean, I think that uh, when I got through college, it was all what am I doing today or when is class in an hour? you know or maybe i'm like, oh, that class was an hour ago, and I missed it, um, but for me, you know like my maturing process getting into the workforce has been, I have to start planning two, three, four months out, right? We need to know, what weekend will be gone, when we're taking our trips, who's caring for our daughter. So, um, you have to know what's important to you. I think definitely find a good company that supports you in that, but also know yourselves, like, hey, what is most important to you? Um, I just finished up my 20s, right? I'm turning 30 this year. I think 20s is a great time for grinding. That was always how I looked at it, put my nose to the absolute grindstone, Uh, work harder than anyone else, go where other people won't go. I think it got me to where I was today, but. Now I'm kind of rounding the corner and uh, you know, getting into my 30s now, and other things are becoming important. So that,
1: that would be where I'm at with it. Uh, we have another question, but before we do that, I want to follow up with that, because I saw Brent nodding his head vigorously about the 20s and branding yourself. Yep. Brent, did you want to add to that?
3: No, I mean, so I, you define what works in terms of what is quality of life, what is work balance for you, and everybody's different, and you come to your journey in your, your own unique way. I was a little bit like that, right? I spent my 20s. Heads down 12, 14 hours a day sometimes. Agencies run lean, and so that was just the way that it it worked, right? Um, About three, four years ago at one point, though, I decided I can't do that anymore. Um, I have to turn off once in a while, and I was fortunate enough that life had brought me to a place where I could switch off. I could go volunteer at an animal shelter for a year and walk dogs and play with cats and figure out what was next. If you saw my um, bio slide, you probably noticed at the top that I'm Fisher College uh, graduate 2022. So I came to my master's late in life having decided that at one point I thought I was going to be a teacher. And then I spent a long time in marketing. So what what potentially is next? Um, So I signed up for the HR program here, if you guys know Ty Shepfer. Um, and spent a year kind of figuring out is that the right way forward for me or at a minimum or am I just learning to be a, a better manager? And looking at HR, understanding how Gen Z in particular expects their work life to shake out. Um, so right now I lead a team where if you're clocking in at nine o'clock and you're clocking out at five o'clock as long as the work is getting done, I'm totally cool with that. Um, I'm not trying to have anybody be at work 10, 12, 14 hours uh, a day like, like I was as long as we're able to achieve the same things. It may mean we're a little bit less profitable now and then. We're not. But uh, I, I don't try to put that on the backs of the people that work for me. All right, great.
1: Okay, we've got a question from a student here. Yeah. Uh, Jacob, I saw that TTI sells Milwaukee. Um, and uh, I know that Stanley Black & Decker kind of has a pretty big area of the, of the market with like DeWalt and Craftsman and stuff. So what's your strategy like in Home Depot to kind of beat out Black & Decker in terms of, like, sales of power equipment or, like, power tools and stuff?
5: Sure. It's a great question. Um, and since since you asked, I'll give you this fun fact. Not a lot of people know this, but our current CEO launched a Walt at Stanley Black & Decker, the CEO of TTI did. Yep. He's a Pittsburgh guy. That's why they went with the black and yellow colors. That's genuinely <laughs> the story. So. Um, so, I'm now
1: a loyal user of that brand, as oh of no. that comment.
5: Well, no, he's on the good team now. He's on the good team now, John. So, <laughs> um, But I, I think we've got a great strategy, right? Where DeWalt has got themselves in a bit of trouble is that um, Black & Decker got kicked out of Home Depot because it wasn't a professional quality enough of a tool to have in a hardware store. Um, now their only option is DeWalt. Um, where we beat them every day is that we have... Uh, Milwaukee Rigid RYOBI, which is essentially a a best, better, good step-up program. So uh, when you have a customer that comes in and is very cost-conscious, that's when we go towards RYOBI, right? A very casual user of the tool, Weekend Warrior. Uh, We're crushing DeWalt on price on those products because it's not meant to compete on the job site. Um, But where we have Milwaukee Tool is to directly compete with DeWalt, offer the superior platform, you know, battery-wise, tool-wise, technology-wise. Maybe a little more expensive, but the performance you get on that tool Will last more so last
1: so just-
5: well, co- come talk to me afterwards we'll get you hooked up with some free tools <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right any other questions before I get launched into one of mine um, all right. How, we talked a little bit about stability. Uh, how about AI? How is AI impacting some of your work, Brent? I, you don't mind if you could start off with that?
3: Yeah. I mean, at its core, AI is technology, right? And technology's fundamental principle is that it accelerates, accelerates change, um, and so that's kind of the the thing that we are facing as an agency and in in my you know client group, um, especially because you know we are. Uh, an industry that wins accounts and gets ahead based on outcome, based on you know the, the great ideas that we have and the way that we execute them, but we get paid in a different way, right? We get paid based on hours. We get paid based on the number of man hours that we convince the client that, that they need to pay us, right? And so if not everything is a big idea, not everything requires human creativity, human ingenuity, and it can be done at a level by AI, all of a sudden the business model has to change, right? So if we're doing a big idea tied to some external IP or we're coming up with some huge concept that's gonna turn into a you know a, a multi-million dollar campaign or promotion next year, that's all well and good, right? But the heart and soul of my business right now, what pays our bills, is cranking out merch. You know, that you roll up to BK and you see a photograph or you see a promotional panel that tries to get you to buy a candied bacon whopper or something like that right but if we set de- design parameters into an ai and the ai can generate the image can place it on the promotional panel and be done in you know a split second or two i now have seven people who don't have jobs anymore so that's the kind of struggle we 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 you know we're trying to to deal with right now as AI advances, not there yet, but you know what does that look like in three years? What does it look like in five years? What does it do to the restaurant? You know, right now, if you go to, this group probably is not familiar with big dining rooms in QSR in the past, right? But you could roll up to a McDonald's or a Burger King or a Taco Bell, and there was a huge dining room. You'd walk in, you'd stand at the counter, you'd go sit there, and you'd eat your lunch. They get smaller and smaller and smaller over time. So that merchandise opportunity, that experience opportunity. Diminishes, and now Yum Brands, which is the parent company of Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, KFC, has said publicly to their shareholders, right, that within five years they anticipate being digital-only. Which means that even then, the drive-through experience changes. So you go onto your app, you place your order, you show up to a box that's got a Taco Bell logo on the outside, you get your food, and you're gone. There is no more role for what we do right now. So that third of my day is partially worrying about what do I do and in- years, what does my team do in 10 years that we all have a role? Maybe it's with BK, maybe it's somebody else, but that's that's the stuff that keeps me up at night with AI.
1: Yeah, our students are probably used to that because the food trucks around here, you have to order online first, but I'm the Gen Xer that comes up to it and it's like, I want to order, and they look at me like, what's the matter with you? You know, so it's now I, I, I can kind of wrap my mind around how AI impacts your business the most, Brent, but how about the rest of you? Is Do you see AI impacting your what you're doing on a day-to-day basis anyway i'm gonna ashley you want to
2: i'm a, a very early adopter of most technologies i just did a big consumer research study in virtual reality for example so i love it and i eat it up um, with ai i was first one into it using it day-to-day as a replacement for google <laughs> in looking things up and looking up some creative stimuli to get myself going if I was doing a naming project or if I was looking for something to do with a brand to look for inspiration. But I will say it's a little um, scary and daunting to a lot of the people I work with who are designers. They're graphic designers and environmental designers and floor planners. And you can ask AI in a second to generate an entire Home Depot of the future. And it may not be that good or baked, but it's the start. And so what we've all tried to do is start to embrace it as a, a, a platform to begin and maybe even a last mile in, in the case that we need to refine something at the end, but it's not, it can't do all the work that we do. It's just the quality is not there yet, so we've seen and played around with. So we're embracing it as a partner and as an assistant almost, and we're using it as a, a starting point, um, but we're taking it the rest of the way.
3: It it's the Google thing honest. that you talked about, using it as kind of your Google replacement, yeah. right? There's so much data in the world because of apps, because of social media, because of everything that you guys do on your phones or on your laptops. The world is just, I mean, tsunamis of data that no one person, no organization of people can sort through without the machine, right? And so embracing the machine early on is the way that you do that to set yourself up, at least in, in my mind, creatively to be ahead of yeah. what AI is doing. and you just. It, again, technology accelerates change, so you have to learn to stay a step ahead of it um, by embracing as much of it as you can. Lisa, you were going to say something, I think.
4: I was. I was going to say. So, um, thinking about how we can leverage technology from a planogram perspective. So, planogram software would. <laughs> um, so, if you have go up to, to the peanut butter and jelly set, and it's you know twelve walking feet. Um, you know, for a retailer like um, Giant Eagle, they've got two hundred stores for Dollar General there's 19,000 stores and growing. So if you imagine trying to figure out exactly where that peanut butter should go in all 19,000. Fortunately, they only they have 50 most common planograms, right? But the Walmart team, 3 4,000 stores, they have over 2,000 planograms and they have to go in individually and make sure, hey, we're bringing this item in, we're taking this item out, we have to swap them. So being able to click a button and just automatically do that and then go in and say, "Okay, now here's what the, you know, the software, we told the software to do this, do this, do this." it's done that, now what do we need to kind of overlay? So we would use that as the starting point um, to kind of jumpstart that stuff, and then we would go in and and overlay our insights and information to make sure that it it looks how it should.
1: So those planograms that Lisa's talking about, Brand managers, category captains agonize over exactly every single shelf placement. Are you, are you an eye-level brand? Are you above eye level? Are you below level? Are you left or right? Um, and they're all paying slotting fees to be there. By the way, if you find this stuff interesting, register for CPG immersion class. <laughs> I hear the professor teaches this pretty good. Um, so we, get, we dive deep into that stuff. All right, uh, any other questions from the students? Yes. Wait, wait, wait we'll go start here.
5: Uh, hi. Nice. So not all
2: of us are going to be marketing majors. Uh, I think all of your work is fantastic, but not so much for me. But my question is, in your experience throughout the years working with many different kinds of people, uh, what have been the personalities and the characteristics that have worked well with you and other people? And what are the characteristics and personalities that have been like, I got to get out of here or I'm I'm really glad it's only three months or something
5: like that? And that's that's for everybody, not just one person. That's a good question. I Jake, I, I go can ahead. kick us yeah. off. Yeah. So for me, I uh, I take a lot of pride in being able to work with a lot of different types of people. I think that to be successful in management and any degree, um, you've got to be able to adapt and flex your style to other folks. So I could tell you that honestly, there's not a lot of whole lot of people at all that I have a hard time uh, getting along well with. Um, and actually, in our jobs, I think we're all probably challenged to. Uh, work with a huge variety of people so um you know the people who absolutely don't do it for me are probably people who um, ha- lack energy um, like little to no enthusiasm or engagement um, that could be true in an interview um, that could be true if i show up to work in their store um, or at any point in our company right so um, just having a genuine enthusiasm with where you're at in that moment i think is a massive differentiator probably a lack of energy is the uh, number one, uh, challenge. Um, number two challenge, I would say, is someone who um, could be a better listener, right? I think that we all can always improve in listening, but I'm a big believer that you have to listen until it hurts, right? And um, I have a hard time working with people who are like very over-eager to share their opinions or to respond to yours. Um, I appreciate people who take the time to listen and are just excited and enthusiastic about you know, where they're going in life.
4: I would agree. And then open-mindedness, like being open-minded, willing to try new things, um, not being closed-minded. And then just I appreciate the diversity of thoughts. So I've been with Smucker's for so long. I don't have experience from other companies, so I always appreciate when someone, oh, well, at my last company, we did this, or here's the way we've approached it differently. I love hearing about how other people approach things.
2: But um, approach things humbly. <laughs> I think a lack of humility is something I've come across in my career, and it's a real turnoff when... You have these big ideas, and maybe you aren't listening to others, and you just feel like your way is the right way, and it's not always, especially in a creative field where you could splinter off in a ton of different directions, and any one of them can work. It's just a matter of pursuing the right path and um, selling that client that into your client, and so anyway, a lack of humility I think would be the, the one thing that I would caution against, but enthusiasm and persistence and energy are all wonderful characteristics as long as they're balanced with that.
1: That lack of humility is a good point, because like, uh, even like, even uh, there's a couple of times in my career I was hired to be a change agent, yeah. but even when you're hired in a role like that, just ask lots of questions, you know, and, and just c- continually get in more and
3: more information before you start formulating
1: your own opinion, all right? Uh, Brent, did you want to add
3: anything to that? I, you guys covered it. I mean, there's a great book out there right now called Multipliers. Go read it if you can. It sets you up for success, just in terms of being someone who brings out the best in others, as opposed to beats them down or, or limits them. Um, you've, you've got it in terms of people who are inflexible or know what they're doing. People who political posture or, or want to play politics, corporate politics, more than getting the job done. That's probably been a, a group of folks that I've run into more than I would like to admit who make life pretty darn hard. They tend to exist in all uh, areas, but especially as you go up in company, people get more defensive, just more protective of their territory. Folks your age, the ones that I can't work with are the ones that do not claim ownership of whatever they're doing, that don't invest at some level personally in the work that you're doing, that my name is on this, and therefore I will do it to the best of my ability. There's a lot of this, I'm showing up, I'm doing the job, and I'm clocking out. Totally get that. Your 9 to 5 is a good 9 to 5. Invest in that 9 to 5. But put a little of your, yourself in there. Put a little of that personal magic in there. Um, it it makes a better product, product, and the people above you see that. All right, great, thank you. All right, next question.
4: Um, So I was going to ask, as a finance major, kind of understanding the long-term effects of the pandemic in the real estate world and kind of how interest rates are going and all that, I was curious how you guys or, like, what long-term behaviors or changes have happened in the marketing world from the
2: pandemic? Hmm.
5: I can speak to customers of Home Depot. Um, I'm sure they're very knowledgeable about trends in general. Um, I would say Home Depot is a decent indicator of the economy. Um, Home Depot's had a tough year. Um, They're probably going to be one or two percentage points off their goal for this year. Um, They've realized that homeowners are starting to save more money um, the economy is transitioning away from goods more towards services. Meaning, rather than you buying a lawn mower, you're probably going to pay someone to mow your lawn for you, um, and that's what we've seen. Um, I mean, as of our business tools, actually did well in the pandemic, really well. Home Depot is one of the few places that was open. Customers started doing all of their projects around the house, so uh, we've truthfully been struggling to catch back up to those comps we had during COVID, but. All in, um, that's where what we're kind of seeing across the board is more of transition to a service-based economy and um, people being a little more frugal, at least the last several months.
0: So
2: to that point, um, where we've seen business spike is with the value-based retailers like dollar stores. And we've seen, you know, big anchor retailers and malls close, and apparel stores go under, and footwear stores go under. But interesting concepts coming into their place. JLL just released a report about entertainment concepts going into where J.C. Penney's used to be, for example, that are, you know, I don't know, big indoor playgrounds where you can jump on a trampoline and whatever. We're chasing those types of clients because they have they are new concepts with money. Um, and they have new concepts that need design. So we're after them. We're after the value guys because that's where the money right now has shifted, um, and we're backing off a little bit from some of the traditional brands that 10 years ago or even five years ago we would have been hungry to work with. The, the money just isn't there right now, but I feel like there's a sense of recovery as, as um, habits have started to change and shift to online. They're recovering just at a slower pace.
1: All right, next question.
4: Hi guys, thanks for coming out. Uh, this is kind of a broad question, but as someone who isn't really sure about like where I want to go in the business world yet, um, I'd love to hear about what shocked you the most upon entering like the workforce, and also like what you wish you would have known when you were our age.
3: Okay, go ahead, kick in. it off. English major. Didn't know I was going in business, so didn't come to it with a business mindset. So the first few years were really bumpy in that way because even though you think about, or at least I did at the time, advertising agencies being fun designs and TV spots and copywriting and all that kind of stuff, it's it's grounded in business thought, right? Especially in the role that, that I have. I am a business partner to my clients, and so thinking about the world in terms of objectives and strategies and how strategies flow into tactics was something that I really was uncomfortable getting into for a while. Um, And maybe one of the reasons that I've really settled in the QSR, because I get that business model, um, and now I'm really good at it. I can walk into a room with anybody in any part of the business, and I can have a conversation. Category managers are the new exception, because those (laughs) are some data-centered animals. Um, So trying to keep up with really great category managers is a special talent all its own that I'm trying to develop into. Um, What was the second part of your question remind me? Yeah, don't worry about the technical stuff. Sign up for the job that sounds like something you want to do. You don't know anything coming out of college regardless, right? So they're going to teach you that kind of stuff. The hard skills. Professor yeah, hopefully well, knows something. I know is teaching you some great <laughs> principles, right? But how those apply to business, yeah. they're gonna teach you, right? So come into it with the right attitude, come into it with the right mindset that I'm gonna succeed and this is how I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna be alert, I'm gonna learn, I'm gonna be hungry for asking questions and, and being assigned to things and that kind of stuff. And just let, you know, let who you are take you to. This is my perspective, right? A lot of people have a plan. I never had a plan. Let who you are take you to the place you're gonna be.
4: You. This is a great place to like flex your brain muscles and like learn the basics and the foundation. But yes, you will get trained on whatever expertise area that you go into. I would say there's a lot of different shades of marketing. So I was a marketing major, but and I was like, okay, there's marketing, like brand marketing. There's market research. There's sales. Those are the three, right? There's nothing. There's nothing else. I had never heard of category management. There's so many different varieties of like people using marketing or other degrees in like the Smucker or organization. There's insights. There's innovation thinking about. Okay, so it's not just about brand marketing. About like where is the brand today? It's like where could the brand go in the future? What could we do with peanut butter? You know, six years from now, ten years from now, could we put it in a Twinkie? I don't know what it's going to look like, but um, they've got. I would totally buy a right? peanut butter Twinkie. <laughs> <laughs> or, or chocolate, or whatever that looks like, but they've got so many, there's so many different career paths, and so many different options, it's not black and white, it's not just those, you know, couple of areas that you've read about, there's so many more things, I think the more naturally curious you are, the, the, the more you know yourself, and like, I knew I liked data. I knew I I, knew I liked problem solving, and I was naturally curious about like how things like work and and that piece, and it just naturally led into what I do today. So I feel like being curious, being open-minded, and knowing that there's a lot more than just a couple different areas you can go into.
5: I would say I was in that same situation um, eight years ago. Uh, I was kind of the guy who I, I started as a history major as well. So. I was quickly told by my parents how poor of an idea that was. (laughs) Uh, So that was when I I enrolled in the business school. And uh, I was always, um, you know, left brain, right brain, whichever brain. I was kind of the more of the um, like I liked English and I liked marketing and kind of like the um, the things that challenge your thought process um, rather than accounting or finance, which those challenged my thought process. Just uh, <laughs> no offense in, in a to a you accounting way. and
1: finance majors, there.
5: <clears throat> oh yeah, God, we we need you guys uh, for sure. That was just never me, right? I was kind of the um, the reasons and the papers and you know wanting to articulate the. Um, You know, the reasons I believe something, that kind of thing. So um, that was why I did marketing, because I got away from more of the uh, quantitative business disciplines. Um, Even then, when I was graduating, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, So I looked for a company with, like, a leadership development program. Uh, My advice to you would be look for a company that has that, some sort of sight lines into, hey, here's not just the first role you'll be doing, but what does three, four, five, six roles look like? Um, That's what I really look for, and I think that's why all of us have spent a lot of years where we're at. That's why I've stayed with TTI is because of all the opportunities to advance. Um, But then I'd also say, join a growing company. Um, If nothing else, make sure you don't join a company that's flatlining, not doing well, right? Because when companies have good business and things are going well, new opportunities, more jobs are being created. So um, that's really what I did. I wanted a company that was going to invest in me and a company that was growing and ultimately found that. And it's been a good ride, but I was in your same shoes and just know it'll all work out.
2: That's good
1: advice. Ashley?
2: I feel like when I was in school we weren't as encouraged to have as many internships and things as you all are. So take this with a grain, but when I, um, interviewed for my job, I was like, none of my experience applies to this, but I made, I sort of like made it apply, you know? I said, well, in this one I did this. I worked at retail, so naturally I know what the cash rep is, so I should definitely work for a retail design agency. And so I just came across as someone who was really curious and who had kind of tangential experience that could possibly relate, and they gave me a shot. Nowadays, maybe it's a little different. I know you guys have internships every summer. Some of you do internships during the year. And so if anything, your resume is like jam-packed. And so it's kind of hard as a hiring person to understand who you are in reading and what you're interested in. So I recommend having some sort of like synthesis, reader's digest, um, summary of yourself at the top of your resume or when you speak to say like, here's the bullets of what I'm most interested in. And here's what gives me the business acumen to work where I'm applying Um, even if you're not totally sure what where you want to work or what your title is going to be like the things that you're interested in I guess is the point that's what I really want to know and tell me all these experiences that you've had how they've contributed to that Um, and that would be really that would really strike me as a person who was hiring you or interviewing you
1: that internship piece, it is such a much bigger piece now than it was during our careers. It's like, uh, if you have an internship be- before your junior year, that's great, but before your senior year is almost imperative right now. Uh, back in my day, not the same thing. I-, I was a lifeguard, so I had to spin it into aquatics director and aqua management. <laughs>
0: exactly.
1: So, well, I want to thank our panelists today. Uh, stick around. They're, uh, they're going to be here to field questions afterward. Um, I want to thank uh, Ashley Rowland who's a Strategy uh, Senior Director at Big Red Rooster, or JLL, I should say. I'm sorry, I, I can't I can't forget about that. I just love Big okay. Red Rooster, I, I love know. that branding. Uh, Brent Williams, Account Director of 500 Degrees, Lisa Smith, uh, Senior Analyst at JM Smucker Company, and Jacob Ledbetter, Division Sales Manager at TTL.
0: Please check the webpage for additional related links and the resources on this topic. Career EQ is brought to you by the Fisher College of Business at The Ohio State University. We'd like to thank our production crew, including our producer Doug Carraway, for making this possible, and the Office of Career Management, dedicated to supporting our business school students in the launch of their careers. See you next time at Career EQ.